1: Are you looking for a designer to help you with your next product or startup? When I'm not working on the show, I'm busy working as an award-winning chief design officer and have been doing software design for startups and other companies for over 20 years. I'm also a published author and recently sold a startup to a multi-billion dollar company. For more information, visit kevinhorick.com. That is K-E-V-I-N-H-O-R-E-K dot com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Jeff Ransdell. He's the co-founder and managing director at Rocker Fuel Venture Capital. Jeff, welcome to the show.
0: Well, thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I've known about you guys for a number of years now, and I think what you guys are doing in, in the venture capital space is actually very innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into all that stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
0: Yeah, so I, I you know, I, I um I grew up on a ranch in southeastern Colorado oh, cool. um until I was uh, around twelve and then from there I ended up in North Dakota, Minnesota and Canada. I was a hockey player and kinda roamed around that territory uh until I was um twenty one. Very cool. I went to uh the University of North Dakota. Okay. What did you and, take and why? Um, i my my educational background is finance and international finance um, you know that's a great question I've never had anyone ask me that question I think it's a good one um, <laughs> why finance finance just because I was very interested in business okay uh, I had owned three businesses that I started uh, when I was very young and um, so I was you know kind of kind of had a lot of entrepreneurial um, mindset and so it made sense to me to to try to align my education with the things that really drove me. And then the international finance component was just, uh, I felt that the world was 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 going to continue to become more democratized and, and you know, the, the bumpers and the barriers that existed at that time would slowly start to erode. And I just wanted to have an understanding of, you know, how other countries uh, approached economics and approached finance. And so that's why I studied finance and international finance. Interesting.
1: No, that, that makes total sense. It, it's interesting, like meeting people like yourself that are doing venture capital when they've actually been a business and an entrepreneur kind of first, right? So you you understand both sides of of where people are coming from, right? Where I find sometimes if venture capitalists haven't actually done their own business before, they sometimes don't understand what it's like to be in the trenches sometimes
0: building this stuff.
1: Do you agree or what are your thoughts around that?
0: I think it's an incredible insight. I, I agree one thousand percent. you know, I, I you know, as a leader, I, I think it's extremely important to always have empathy. And it's hard to have empathy if you've never sat in that person's shoes. And and so yeah, I, I completely agree. If, if you know, I, I I don't think it's 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 a necessity. Sure. I mean you can be a venture capitalist. Uh, And be quite successful and there's a lot of them out there, but I definitely think that if you you know If if you built your own company and you understand how difficult it is to do that uh, And then you get into a situation where you're investing in people that did that you have a lot of empathy And I think that just makes you better from maybe an emotional intelligence perspective
1: Yeah, no, I I 100% agree with you. So Walk us through your career up until uh, Rocker Fuel.
0: Well, up until Rocker Fuel. So again, as I said, I, I kind of I started off early and, and started a, a number of different businesses, and I sold those businesses off. Okay. And uh, I, I started a career in 1994. So I'm going to age myself here a little bit. But in 1994, I started with Merrill Lynch, okay. and. Um, I started out as a as an equity analyst, junior an, uh, equity analyst during the dot com days. Um, and then that that I did that for a while. And then I, I started managing uh, portfolios for ultra high net worth individuals and family offices. Okay. And I did that for about uh, three years and then uh, I was asked to go into leadership. And I had a number of different roles in leadership. Um, you know, it was a 21 year career. Uh, The last job that I had was I was one of six people that uh, ran the firm. My responsibility was the state of Florida, the state of Alabama, the state of Georgia, uh, Latin America, and the Caribbean. And it was referred to as the Southeast Division. Okay. And so uh, I was at Merrill Lynch for 21 years. And then in 2016, I retired from Merrill Lynch in the public markets to come and start Rocker Fuel uh, and really focus. Instead of broadly on a number of different asset classes, um, you know, specifically on venture capital, and um, you know the impetus the impetus that drove that decision was was simply that I felt individual investors and family offices, um, in in a mass way, were getting kind of left behind. You know, to to, to access the, the creative economy, you really have to know someone who knows someone who knows someone. And so I I felt that there was a a huge gap out there, especially for let's just call it private clients. Okay. And, um, and so, you know, I spent a lot of time while I was at Merrill Lynch doing my research. And I saw a lot of things that were in the venture capital private equity space that I felt were, were deserving to be improved upon for the sake of the investor. Okay. And so we started this fund really with the idea that. We wanted to bring the plan, the process and the discipline of the public markets, which are very scrutinized. I mean, you know, the, the public markets in the United States are probably the most heavily regulated business in the United States. And that's good and it's bad. Um, in some ways, it it um, it dampens creativity. But in, in other ways, it's very good for the end consumer, right? The client. And And when you kind of roll into the private equity space, You know, you don't you don't see a lot of that really pragmatic, risk mitigated, investor driven, um, you know, thought process. And so we decided that we would would start this firm and try to be a little different, you know, kind of the purple cow theory, if you will, to uh, come into the marketplace, really focus on ultra high net worth individuals, family offices, institutions that serve them and, and and bring the capital markets, plan process, and discipline to the space and um, try to improve it a little bit, which we, we we probably think that we have. Interesting.
1: Well, and it it also gives those individuals probably different types of investments in their portfolio. Is that correct or fair to say?
0: Well, yeah, because if, if you think about it, right, if, if if you go to a major Wall Street firm, um, and hopefully it's okay <clears throat> if I mention it, I'm not... Yeah. Trying to be disparaging or anything, but you know. In fact, we don't even need to mention the names. Any major Wall Street firm, uh, you know, you go in there as a as a an, a typical investor, and you assume those individuals are going to look at you um, as as an individual and, and craft a portfolio and a in a financial plan that is based off of your needs and what you're trying to accomplish, and that there are no biases and that whatever it is that I need, uh, you're going to access. But that's actually not the case. Um, Most Wall Street firms don't talk about the creative economy. They don't uh, allow their financial advisors to talk to their clients about the creative economy. And then again, in my humble opinion, I just think that that you know, it's a big miss from a financial perspective. You know, the future is very important. Sure. You know, the public markets are half the size that they were 15 years ago
1: Interesting.
0: Um, and it continues to consolidate. Um, companies are staying private much longer than they ever were in the past. I mean, it, I mean, in 1997, um, Amazon went public. Yep. They had $1.3 million of top line revenue and they'd been around for three years. Okay. You know, you fast forward to 2019 and you look at an Uber, which had top line revenue of in the billions and had been around for 11 years already. Yeah. You know, the world has completely changed and how we interact with the world around us is completely different than it was even four years ago. But when you look at how people are managing their money, it looks exactly like it did 20 and 30 years ago, which makes no sense.
1: 100% agree. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So how else are you guys different from a traditional venture capital firm?
0: Yeah, I mean, in addition to the things that I've kind of already shared, I think that there are some key things that, that we kind of identified that we felt were important to try to improve upon. Uh, one, one of those things is just how we communicate with our investors. We believe that transparency is extremely important. So, you know, we do, we, we mark our portfolios um, either up or down on a quarterly basis Uh, We provide our our investors quarterly holding um, pages so that they know exactly where they're standing on a quarterly basis. We conduct conference calls on a quarterly basis, which allows, you know, the the investors to communicate with us. Uh, We highlight founders from portfolio companies that that we have, you know, invested in. We believe that, you know, there there should only be a separation of, of one person between the investor and the founder. Uh, so we do that. We follow all of that up with a, a newsletter in case somebody couldn't make the phone call. You know, they can read about it. Uh, that's, a, you know, it's a, that's a big piece. Very cool. Um, you know, just I think the liquidity issues and private equity, we've we've tried to address some of those things and and improve upon that, which which I believe our investors um, care deeply about. Um, you know, it, it's really a family you know, everybody who's an investor in our fund has my personal cell phone. They can text me or call me 24 hours a day. I'm always there for them. Um, you know, it's, it's very much a family. And, and we've really tried to leverage our LPs to help our portfolio companies. Right. It, you know, we have a, a lot of a lot of uh, investors in Latin America who own operating companies. And, you know, the companies that we're investing in can sometimes benefit from those relationships. Interesting. And so we leverage that. Um you know I, I think in in general how we look at investing in companies is very different you know everybody on this team comes from the public markets and that sure. was done purposely okay and 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 you know we we obviously the creative economy you know venture capital is an asset class that you know we all had to be trained in we all had to be licensed in um and, you know, we, we just saw significant opportunities to improve upon how people are investing in the space. And, you know, because we come from the public markets, we think about the companies that we invest in with the end in mind. We know what it takes to become public. Uh, we know the scrutiny that the public markets are going to have on a company. And And so we're doing all of that work and all of that development long before, you know, we make a decision to go public. You know, there's been some some, some, some companies, uh, most recently, some pretty famous companies that, that, you know, wanted to go public, but, you know, they didn't do all the, the lead work that I believe, humbly, that they should have done, and if they would have done those things long and you know before, uh, they wouldn't have had the troubles that they have, and that's, that's really how we think about things. You know, you, you think about governance, well, we're worrying about governance all the way back when companies are just getting started and teaching the founders how they need to act and how they need to talk um, for the end result, right? Wearing the suit of the person that they're, they're eventually going to become. Um, thing, you know, we, we require our portfolio companies to report to us on a quarterly basis. They have to fill out KPIs. So we know if there's silly things going on, right? I mean, if, yeah, if one of our founders is, is buying, um, you know, as an example, buying a school, which has nothing to do with the core business you know, model that we've invested in, you know, we're going to know that right out of the gate and we're going to nip that kind of stuff in the bud long before it ever becomes a problem. And I, and I think those are just, you know, a few, there's a lot of other things, but I think that those are some, some, you know, broad brush things that make us very different. Sure.
1: No, that's awesome. So at what stage do you actually put money in? Is it pretty early on? Do they need to have some revenue or or walk us through, through that?
0: Yeah. So, so, you know, the, the rocker fuel fund is, is really, you know, our expertise is, is seed through B rounds, okay. to be honest. Okay. Uh, you know, we like to see companies that have at least $500,000 of ARR. Um, but it doesn't mean that we won't look at, at companies that don't have it. Okay, and, and it's really this balance of art and science, right? I mean, if you just look at it through the fundamental, you know, financial scientific measurements you know, it's, it's kind of hard to find anything that you would invest in. So you have to you have to balance the science with with the art and understand what the company is actually doing. You know, what the disruptive uh, tendencies are of this company. You know, who are the people that are behind the company, and 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 really understand all of that stuff, since you can make good decisions. We we have actually invested in it, in companies that have no revenue, but you know, the the, the founders happen to be you know, very well known, you know, maybe they've, they've taken 13 different companies public before, for example, you know, they, they're billionaires themselves, you know, they've built, you know, they've built a number of, of unicorns, you know, you, you, you have to manage that and and add it to just the fundamentals. But so, yeah, we, we will look and we have invested in companies pre-revenue, um, the revenue ramps up pretty quickly because of the things I just said. Right. But typically, we like to look at companies that have at least 500000 in ARR, you know, have already established a product market fit, you know, have a technology uh, stack that we can review and improve upon if we feel it needs to be improved upon.
1: Sure. And what geographical regions do you guys invest in, or does it not really matter?
0: Yeah, we're agnostic to the geographic region. Uh, It actually came up in a a conversation I had this morning. I'm I'm leaving here tomorrow. I'm flying to Korea and I'm speaking for the IDB. um, And and this question came up to me. Um, You know, I I think it for us anyway, you know, we want to look at things that are, you know, information has been democratized. So creators around the world have, it's just, it's much easier for them to build companies and be creative and you don't have to, you know, journey to Silicon Valley anymore. Yeah. Those days are over. Totally. And and so, you know, we we are agnostic on where a company comes from. We'll look at it, it from anywhere. Actually, we just invested in a company soundtrack your brand that's in Sweden. Oh, very. Um, cool. You know, yeah, very. It's extremely cool. And um, you know, so we're agnostic. Uh, you know, we're in Miami, which is the headquarters of Latin America. So we obviously see a lot that's going on. In Latin America. We're very committed to that jurisdiction. Uh, we think it's, you know, it's a hotbed. We think it's a, an up and coming, you know, uh, tech, uh, very rich soil. And, and so we spend a lot of time there. We haven't actually, you know, dispersed any capital into the region with respect to investments, but we spend a lot of time developing companies over there.
1: Interesting. So is there specific verticals of companies that you try to invest in, or does industry not really matter to you?
0: We're, we're, we're very industry agnostic as well. Um, our, our underlying investment thesis is exponentiality. Uh, so we wrote a book called exponential organizations. One of the general partners, Salim Ismail wrote that book. And, and, and really what that is, is it's a, it's a three year study of, of, you know, how is it that a, that a, an Airbnb, for example, that doesn't own anything nobody knew anything about it and within 6 years can reach a, a billion dollar valuation when it took you know hyatt 60 years to get to a billion dollar valuation you know what are the characteristics of that company and if you can understand what those characteristics are well then you you could go and look for those characteristics in other companies that you're you're analyzing and that's really what we do we we have a proprietary algorithm that allows us to kind of sift through companies that come through the system. We've looked at 10,200 companies in the last two years. We've wow. invested in 13, you know, soon to be 14. Wow. Um, so it's really hard to get into our fund, but that's, again, all purposeful. Um, you know, we believe that, that, you know, if you look at venture capital historically, and again, this isn't to be disparaging, it's just, it's just a fact you know, most venture capital funds will lose between 75 and 90% of the companies that they invest in. And sure. we just think that that's a horrible way to manage other people's money. And, you know, we really kind of, we're, we're holding ourselves to having, you know, kind of taking the industry and putting it on its back and saying, no, you know, let, let's have 20% failures and 80% success. And so if you're going to take on that mission, then you have to be much more thoughtful in the selection process. And so, you know, we are agnostic to the, the, the vertical, um, but it has to have exponential ten- tendencies. And if it has exponential tendencies, um, we will figure out the vertical. You know, we, we, we have incredible partnerships with Singularity University and XPRIZE. And, you know, we have an incredible network. And so we can, we can ramp our, our education up if it's in something that we're not 100% uh, aware of.
1: Interesting. So I'm curious, though, you mentioned this algorithm and it's proprietary, and I don't want you to like give away anything that that you don't want to talk about. But is there certain things that a lot of your companies kind of have in common or, or things that companies coming to pitch to you guys must have or, or they're just not going to make it even have a chance at making it through? You guys...
0: Yeah. And, and we call that the exponential canvas. And so that's, that's things like leveraged assets, um, you know, leveraging dashboards, uh, you know, their own algorithms Uh, you know, it's, it's largely tech based, you know, are they, are they, um, are they leveraging the crowd, you know, different things like that. It's really about efficiencies that most of these, these exponential organizations are, are, are using, you know, you think about Uber, you know again uber doesn't own any of these cars yeah. uber doesn't employ any of the the people that are driving and that's that's a big factor right it's it's leveraging assets that are not yours and just simply creating a a software program behind it that the end consumer can let, can use to their benefit uh and everybody wins i mean that's that's an example of a of a big uh, a very big point that we look for
1: interesting you guys also do a bunch of stuff that has Some something physical, hardware or like scooters or or stuff like that, do you look for things that are kind of something in the physical world and software and and combined, or does that not really matter?
0: No, it has to have a combination. Like you were talking about the scooters. You're referring to Bolt Mobility, which uh, is one of our our favorite portfolio companies, you know, and and that is focused on – you know, mobility, which is a big investment theme of the fund. Um, You know, by the year 2030, it's estimated that 8 billion people around the world are going to migrate to the major cities around the world. Now that's a big statement when you think that there's only 8 billion people on the planet today. Um, So you start to think about what that is going to do to the infrastructure of these cities. And these cities today, every city around the world, every major city around the world is literally worried about this. They're, they're planning for it today. And, you know, people don't really realize how these scooters, you know, the impact that it really makes in in allowing people to solve that first and last mile. And, and so Bolt Mobility has done, you know, a lot of things to improve that space from a business perspective and the economics, which is what made it appealing to us, but they've also included technology. So like they're, their biggest scooter it's called the chariot and it has an iOS unit uh, on, on the unit. So, you know, we know where that unit's going. We know who's using it. We know what point they're going from a to B Um, you know, the data that we're now collecting is, is very powerful. um, And that data can be sold and used and leveraged and, you know, which is another one of those, those, those elements of the exponential canvas that we're looking at.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Well, and, Give tell me if this is a good example of, of what you're kind of talking about here is for example like I, I work downtown it's about a 30 minute commute for me give or take 10 minutes kind of either side but i park a, like a few blocks away because i like the walk in the morning it's also cheaper to park like by almost like more than half sometimes and i like that you know 10 minute extra walk in the morning and i can pick up like in theory i could pick up like a bold scooter to actually get me from you know where I'm parking to to the office. That's what you're talking about, that like kind of extra last kind of mile, right? Is that a good example of what you're kind of talking about and how you it, leverage technology, like on, on days yep. that you maybe need to get there quicker or you don't wanna walk or, and you also save money, right? Because if I'm just spending less money on parking and then I can pick up a scooter quick to take me there, like I'm, I'm saving a ton of money.
0: That's exactly right. That's that's, sol- that's that solving the first and last mile. So to give you some more statistics, sure. right? In, in the United States, 60% of all car usage, 60% is is between the mile 0 and mile 5. Interesting. And 87% of those car travels are single single passenger car travel.
1: Right.
0: So now you start to also think about the average car sits doing absolutely nothing of the time and it's the largest investment that the average American makes. I mean, think about it. You buy, you buy a, you know, uh, a beginner class vehicle, you're talking about, you know, fifteen dollars to $25,000. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And you can go, I mean, you buy a Jeep today and you're going to spend fifty dollars to $60,000. Yeah, easily. So, you know, you, you start to think about that. And then you start to think about the fact, well, I got to pay for insurance. I got to pay for gas. I got to pay to park it. And I know that there's more and more population coming into the major cities. So I'm spending more time in traffic than I ever did before. Um, why the hell am I doing this? And so it is expected by the year 2030 that car ownership is going to drop by 85%. So it is from an investment perspective, it's, it's obviously something to lean in on. And uh, we're very focused on it.
1: Sure. And, and obviously you guys could move into other physical motorized vehicles of whatever kind at some point if, if need be and the need arises. That's actually really interesting.
0: So well that's another one of the things that makes Bolt interesting to us is it's an ecosystem. Right. It's not just about the scooters. You know, they have electric cars. Sure. That, you know, again, like I said, seventy five percent of the time that car's doing nothing. Well, I can buy an electric car from Bolt for ten thousand dollars if I want to own it, and then I can put that car on the Bolt app and I do revenue share with Bolt. And so if you and I live in the same building and you don't have a car, but you need to use a car for, for whatever reason you can go to your Bolt app and you can say, hey, on floor, thir- on floor three, there's a Bolt. And you simply go down there, you use the car, and you bring, it, you bring it back or you drop it off wherever you drop it off. And I get paid for you using my car. Yeah,
1: that's So, awesome. you
0: know, they have the electric car. They have the scooter. Uh, we're working on the electric car driving into a cradle. It'll soon be a drone. Um, Interesting. You know, it's, it's an ecosystem.
1: Sure. No, I, I think that that's really great. Do you want to give us a, a few other examples of, of some companies that you invested in and the technology that they're working on and, and building?
0: We have so many, but, um, you know, uh, Emerge is out of Los Angeles and um, they're in the the virtual space. So if you think about like virtual reality right now, I mean, the word... The word itself is what you see. I'm sure you've been in a virtual room before. Yep. Yep. What Emerge is doing is is they're creating uh, the sensory along with the visual. So you're you know if you and I were in a virtual room together and I put my hand out, you could shake my hand and you'd feel my hand shaking your hand. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so that's the technology that we're 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 invested in right now. Um, we have invested in Omni Labs, which is a robotics company and uh, super cool things around avatars. And we really believe that in the near future, you know, people aren't going to travel like they do today because you're not gonna need to. You'll simply tap into a robot that's on the other end of wherever it is you wanna go, and and that robot becomes your avatar and you can go experience whatever it is you wanna experience through the eyes and through the, the robot at a different location. Um, and, and so we're invested in that, um, Spotify or Spotify for business, which is now soundtrack, your brand, you know, you think about, uh, you probably heard about, um, um, what's the bike the, the, Peloton, yeah. you know, they got a $200 million fine. Well, what soundtrack your brand does is it provides, uh, you know, business owners, restaurants, nightclubs, you know, things like Peloton who are offering music, but you have to license that music. You have to pay, you know, the artists for that that usage. And so, soundtrack your brand allows uh, business owners to do it in a very effective way with a huge library to choose from. So that's a, that's a that's a really really special company that's out of Switzerland. That was ma- it was built by the team that built Beats. That was sold oh, to Apple Music. Yeah, so it's a very like famous. Like billions uh, of engineering <laughs> <laughs> billion, Four yeah. billion actually. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, so- yeah, you know, AdMobilize, which is a, just a crazy, uh, amazing business that has, has really kind of taken over the uh, outdoor digital uh, advertising and, and screens. Sure. Uh, there are 20 million screens uh, in the United States right now that, that don't have data. Which is And crazy. when they plug into the AdMobilize, they now have data. And those, you know, you know how many people walk by, you know, if it's a woman, a man, if they were happy. They were sad. How long did they look in the window? Did they go in and buy? You know, it's just all the data that you can imagine, um, and that's at Mobilize. Um, you know, we've got, we've got really great companies. Could, it would take us forever to go through them all, but uh, really really great companies. Tax File is uh, an amazing – you know, we've got taxes that are coming up here pretty soon. So, sure. you know, they, they have a B2C business, which allows people to do their taxes um, with their iPhone. You never yeah, even cool. have to talk to a to an account, uh, CPA, uh, you can do it all through there. And then they have a great B2B business where they white label their technology for major firms, uh, oh, which are basically the top 10, 10 of the top 20 financial institutions in the world right now. So, you know, an incredible business. Very cool. Um, no,
1: yeah. why I wanted you to mention some of those is so people can have some sort of idea because what I always liked about you guys when I found out about you guys a number of years ago you guys invest in these like big kind of ambitious goals, but they also have a business model, which that last piece, having a business model is obviously key to being successful, where I find you meet some people that have a really great idea, but no way to actually monetize it. Right. And it's like that becomes really, really difficult. Right. Sometimes it's easy to monetize. You know, if you have somebody that knows what they're kind of doing, but sometimes you're just like that's a really great idea, but I don't think you can make money doing that. Where what really stuck out to me with you guys is you have these big ideas that people are actually have a business model that can generate revenue. Maybe they're not necessarily generating, you know, cash flow positive day one, but they have the ability, and it looks like they're going to do it from kind of day one, right?
0: Yeah, I, I think that um, you know as Miami continues to build out its ecosystem, I, I really believe that that's what it's starting to get known and trusted for. You know, we're building real companies here, you sure. know, uh, especially our firm. And because we come from the capital markets, we know how important it is to, you know, have the ability to showcase the fact that you can be profitable because that's what investors want. Sure. And, and so, you know, we're, we're building real companies and we're investing in companies who have founders that realize that, you know, if you really want to take this thing and ring the bell in the New York Stock Exchange, there are certain things that you have to do, um, both from a personal perspective and how you conduct your, your daily behaviors and, and, and developing an executive mindset, um, as well as developing a, a investable business that you know, the public markets are going to be attracted to. And again, you know, working with the end in mind, and that's what we're trying to do. And, you know, at least from the perspective of Rocker Fuel, that's what we're hoping that Miami becomes known for.
1: Sure. Well, I, I really think it's, it's at least, if not, it already has it in a lot of cases, but it's definitely becoming that. I, I think more and more people are, are hearing about the hotbed that kind of even you could argue maybe South Florida, right, is becoming.
0: Exactly. I mean, you know, we were talking about tax file. I mean, tax file is four years old. It'll be profitable in a year. Yeah. That's and, awesome. you know, I mean, this is a company that we plan to take public in four years, you know, two to two to five billion dollars. Right. Wow. And so, you know, that's, that's right here in Miami. AdMobilize uh, is another example, you know, Bolt Mobility. I mean, they're, you know, th- these are good operators. These are people who have run serious companies. And, you know, it's not just about raising money and spending it all. I mean, it's it's a really, you know, it's it's these, these are these are, you know, tried and true executives who are really doing a great job of disrupting a space that is in desperate need of, of improvement.
1: Sure. No, I a hundred percent agree with you. So I think not every business needs venture capital. Maybe they need it later on. Maybe they need it earlier on, but I think maybe like not every business I think needs it necessarily. How do you decide what type of capital you need from a business perspective? standpoint like what advice do you give people to say like you know what you're not ready for venture maybe you don't need venture maybe you do need venture but later on what's your advice around like when to raise what type of capital
0: but you know i, I can only speak for our firm sure. and what i would tell you is what you need to, in order to get attracted to us and, okay. and that would be you know you, you need to be a good business person right i mean okay. i think one of the one of the things that always irks me a little bit is when I sit down with someone and they really don't have any financial acumen. Now, I'm not saying that you're the, you know, if you're a technologist that you need to have financial acumen, but you better have someone on your team that does. Um, Because again, this is a business and we're in the business of investing other people's capital into these companies. And I want to make sure that who I'm talking to understands that because if, if I find that, that this is just, you know, give me money so I can go play in my laboratory. You know, it doesn't work for us. Right. So, you know, I think the other thing that you always have to keep in mind as a founder is, is that venture capital firms and people like myself, we're responsible to a lot of individuals who have entrusted their, their capital, their life savings in some, some cases to us, there's a fiduciary responsibility to those individuals. And as a result, the moment that you align yourself with a venture capital firm, you've got to understand that things are going to get extremely intense. Sure. Because the, because, it, because it matters, right? There's a lot of people now that you are responsible for. And uh, so making sure that you're, you know, you are, you know, sometimes our, our founders get a little angry with us when we're, hey, where are your KPIs? And it's like, you know, three days after the end of the month. And it's like, you know you know we we're busy well, I don't care right we're yeah, all busy. I sure. work seventy eighty hours a week I, I expect you to be busy, but I also expect you to understand that these these KPIs these these numbers uh, are important because we're responsible to other people in managing their money um, so I think that you just got to understand that when you make that decision that you're going to go and do that uh, life is going to change. It's going to become very serious, at least if you're working with with us. Sure. Um, you know, because we we take it extremely, you know, very very seriously.
1: Sure. So you basically need to make sure that the venture company or or investors are, are a good fit, and they and you are willing to deliver what they expect, and vice versa, right? And to your point, like some are more lax than others, right? And and that's not one's better than the other necessarily, but. I agree with you. If you expect them the last day of the month or every quarter, they better have them that, or at least have a really, really good reason for them to miss those dates. It makes total sense.
0: Yeah. And I, and you know, for me, I think it's, it's a lot about, you know, the the human condition is habitual in nature. Sure. And if, if you're disciplined and you realize that these things are important, you get them done. And then that follows through to other things that you're doing. If you're lazy around, you know your investors, then then you know you're going to be lazy around a lot of other things that aren't that important, because you know what matters most can never be at the mercy of what matters least. Sure. And so everything matters, and we're looking at everything. It's not always what you do, but what you don't do. It's not always what you say, but what you don't say. And um, you know, again, these are all things that we're trying to develop. And if it's needed, right? Not everybody, sure. you know, needs it, but sometimes. The leadership development and the executive thought process is missing, and that's one of the things that we we uh, we input above and beyond the capital that we input.
1: No, no, very very interesting. The the other thing that I found really useful that you guys do is you guys post really good blog articles on Medium. It, you can get them from your your main website, but you guys write some really interesting articles. So. Do you maybe want to give us a quick overview of the stuff that you guys try to talk about there? Because it's all over the map a little bit, very much related to the space, but it's really good information.
0: You know, I think it's thematic and, and I appreciate you saying that it's really good. I will say pointing inward, I think what we've done is is really good, but it's not enough. Okay. Um, and, and and in fact, you know, we've got a great partner, um, Deborah Lima, who who works in our marketing and branding department who's actually a former journalist and an incredible writer. And she's, she's actually joining the team to help us do even more. And I'm super excited about that.
1: Oh, cool. But,
0: you know, we think it's super important to, to share our intellectual thought process. We, we believe it's a, a responsibility of ours as we continue to help investors understand that this is an important asset class to have in their portfolio construction. And you have to educate people and you have to have an opinion And, um, and that's what we try to do. And so when you say it's kind of all over the place, uh, I like to hear that, that, that means we're doing the right thing in my, my opinion, because, you know, it's, it's thematic. It's, it's what do we think investors need to know about? What do we think, you know, based on conversations that we're having with investors or founders that we think we need to write about and have an opinion on and, and share our thoughts.
1: Sure. You, You touched on something there about like trying to educate um, maybe people that don't think of investing in, in startups or, or giving their money to a venture capital firm to like you guys, how do you actually mitigate their risk or, or what are the things that you do to maybe make them feel better about basically investing in startups? I, I get it's through you guys, but you know some people get scared by investing in startups, right?
0: I, I think a lot of that, that comes from the question that you asked me is what makes us different? I mean, everything that we have done to, to try to be different is really about that, right? Because our focus is ultra high net worth individuals and family offices sure. and firms that serve them, right? And all three of those categories, by the way, are are individuals who know they need to do it, but have never done it before. They need to be educated. They need to feel comfortable that they're working with people that take it really seriously, that are very pragmatic. And have a plan, have a process, and have a discipline. Um, and 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 so you know when you, you when you ask me, well, how do you educate people? It's it's through our thought leadership that we do. It's it's you know it's from people who you know the birds of a feather flock together, and you know we have someone who comes in a, a family, and you know they end up investing, and Friday night they're at dinner with another family that's as wealthy as they are because that's how it works. And sure. We is, end up coming up about all the cool things that we're doing and, and that investor is extremely excited because they're a part of it. And then that family member, want, you know, the people that they're with want to, want to meet with us. And we spend a lot of time educating them on the asset class. You know, it's a, it's a non-correlated asset class, meaning, you know, if, if the overall public markets um, are down, you know, venture capital has, usually is up and, and vice versa. It's actually one of the only asset classes that remain out there because of the democratization of information that is actually non-correlated. And if you really think about it, right, it's all we're doing is investing in operating companies. I mean, if you think about the wealthiest people in the world, they all built their wealth by owning private operating businesses and eventually selling them to the public. So people really don't, I think that there's this, this image that it's some kind of a, a mystery or it's some kind of a game when it's not, I mean, all we're doing is identifying incredible business people who are building businesses that are someday going to be public and we're providing access to those companies in the private sector long before it gets diluted uh, in the public markets. And that's where we believe that there's a tremendous amount of, of, of performance uh, alpha that can be picked up.
1: Sure. Well, and it sounds like in a lot of cases, you're basically going to these investors or people that are willing to put their money in and say, look, we found basically younger versions of you and we're going to put, we're going to gamble on them just like you gambled on yourself and or other people gambled on you, right? And we have all these mitigations and algorithms in place to make sure we hit, you know, 80% instead of 20%, right? Something like that.
0: Yeah, and I think, it, I think it's super well said. The only thing that I might adjust a little sure. bit is that, that word gamble. You know, I, okay. we, we don't gamble with other people's money. Uh, we just don't. Uh, every, every decision that we make is extremely thought out. Um, you know, it's got a tremendous amount of analysis and thought process that went behind it. Uh, and, and I wouldn't say it's a gamble. I wouldn't say it's a bet. I would say it's a, it's a very thoughtful investment. Sure. And uh, that would be the only, the only thing I would, I would alter in what you said.
1: No, that's that's perfect but we're kind of coming to the end of the show so how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and and uh rocker fuel and any other links you want to mention
0: yeah so you could i think you know you can check us out um on instagram rocker fuel uh exo you can check us out on twitter same same uh tag uh linkedin same tag um, our website is uh, www.rockerfuel.com and Rocker Fuel is spelled R-O-K-K number 3-R-F-U-E-L
1: very cool well Jeff I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day man
0: hey thank you for having us on I appreciate it very much Ciao.
1: thank you bye
0: thanks for listening please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community Sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at ElectricMantra.com and keep building the future.